It's good to be back with you today and to see each and every one of you. Notice some powerful thoughts, and this is a great passage. It's from 1 Samuel. To build up to it, many centuries before, God had given the Israelites instructions if they were to ever get a king. You see, under Moses and Joshua, they were not kings. They were leaders. They had priests. And then eventually came the period of the judges. During the time of the judges, which was several centuries, they didn't have a king. Or perhaps better said, God was their king. But here, centuries before, God gives him instructions, if they were to ever get a king, what he should be like. And so let's look at it here, back in Deuteronomy 17, <clears throat> beginning with verse 14. When you are come into the land which the Lord your God gives you, and shall possess it, and shall live therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. You shall in any wise set him king over you, whom the Lord your God shall choose. One from among your brothers shall you set a king over you, that you may not set a foreigner over you, which is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. Forasmuch as the Lord has said to you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. In other words, don't go back to Egypt, basically. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. One who certainly did that was Solomon. That his heart turned not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, so that his heart be not lifted up above his brothers, and that he turn not aside from the commandment, to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now going back to Samuel, what we're going to see is that they had chosen eventually, centuries later, a king. All the people weren't necessarily behind it. Saul was chosen, but eventually he won a great battle against Nahash the Ammonite. Read about that in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel. And so now the people were 
really behind Saul, who'd been a successful king in battle here against one of their bitter enemies. But as you read the passage in chapter 12, you see that really they shouldn't have done this. They did wrong at this point in choosing a king. And God dramatically showed them, yes, this was wrong what you did. He did an amazing thing. Samuel then talked to them. He told them how they'd done something that they shouldn't have done, but that he would pray for them. Okay, let's look at it. Back in chapter 11 then of 1 Samuel, beginning with verse 14. Here's what I gave you a preview of. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king. You see, he'd been made king before, but now it's being renewed. Made him king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel greatly rejoiced. And Samuel said to all Israel, Look, I have paid attention to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have made a king over you. Notice they, of course, wanted to be like the nations around them. They wanted to copy what the other countries were doing. And now look, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Samuel is speaking, the prophet here. Remember, he's the one that God called to him and Eli had been taking care of him, and God spoke to Samuel when he was a child, and he was to be a great prophet. Look, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed one. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind my eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. And they said, You've not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither have you taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who advanced Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Therefore now stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. Now he's going to tell them about coming out of Egypt and so forth. When Jacob was coming to Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord, the Jehovah, sent Moses and Aaron 
who brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them live in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. They fought against them. You see, he's referring to what happened during the period of the judges, when the judges were the rulers and those who judged them, and how they would turn against God, and God would send their enemies, and they would be punished, and then they'd cry out to God, and God would forgive them and give them rest, and then they'd turn away from God again, and this was a cycle of things that kept happening in the book of Judges. And they fought against them. Verse 10, they cried to the Lord, and he said, we've sinned because we have forsaken the Lord, and we have served Balaam and Ashtaroth, Balaam's consort. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. See, that kept happening over and over in the book of Judges. The Lord sent Jeroboam and Beden and Jephthah and Samuel. Even Samuel was kind of follow through of the, of the judges here. And delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelled safely. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, how he came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, look at the king whom you've chosen, he had Saul there, and whom you have desired. And look, the Lord has set a king over you. Now here he gives them an option. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and also your king who reigns over you shall continue following the Lord your God. So that's the way you see they ought to have done it. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you, as it was against your fathers, like in the desert, like at the time of the judges. Therefore now, okay, he gives an application, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. He's going to show them how that they did wrong. He's going to do something that's quite miraculous and different. Is it not wheat harvest today? You see, that was not a time of rain. Just didn't rain that time of the year. I will call to the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, so that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. So they shouldn't have done that, he's saying. It's going to have a miracle here. It's going to fortify and help you realize, yes, you did wrong. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. See, this is a great thing. This was not usual. 
God wanted them to know they should not have been asking for that king. But now he said, yes, if you'll follow me and do my commands, I'll be with you. If you don't, you're going to have problems. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. But you see, he did this great thing, a miraculous thing. You know, it reminded me of something that happened about 40 years ago. Maybe you remember. At the very beginning of July, for about three days, and you know it doesn't rain in July. In fact, earlier before I had moved to Placerville, I read that the annual rainfall for July was 0.01 inches. In other words, virtually nothing every year. But if you remember, at least I remember for Placerville, we had over three and a half inches, actually 3.6 as I recall, something that just doesn't happen. (laughs) Maybe God was saying, look what I can do if I want to. (laughs) You're not all that great. I have the power. And we've been singing about that, haven't we? So he goes and makes the application. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, they say, that we die not. Because we have added to all our sins this evil to ask us a king. So yes, they agreed. They shouldn't have done that. It was a great thing, but God gave them another chance. They'd done wrong, but God was willing to forgive. I think of a later king, David, the successor of Saul. Saul was set aside. He didn't follow God like he was supposed to. David had a heart that was pleasing to God. He became king. But David was not perfect like us. He had his failings. And, of course, we know the terrible thing he did when he committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba and then tried to cover it up by having her husband, who was a soldier fighting for him, set in a place and the other soldiers left him there and he got killed. So David was guilty not only of adultery, but he was guilty of blood, (laughs) seeing that her husband had been killed. Oh, those are pretty awful things, aren't they? Well, these people had done something wrong too. But you know there's forgiveness with God. Have we not all failed at times with the Lord? Do we not ever really, truly, fully measure up to his commands? He said to be holy. That involves being without sin. And yet we recognize that We can't do that. We try, but we fail. So we all need forgiveness. A great psalm came as a result of David's sin. Psalm 51, one of the great penitential psalms. Have mercy on me, O God, he said, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And indeed, they were horrible. 
would wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, because I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. He came to the place where he was no longer trying to cover it up. He admitted what he had done. He'd been helped by a prophet to do this, but he came to that point. Then he made the amazing statement, verse 4, against you, you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. That's interesting. Even though he'd sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, ultimately all sin is against God himself. I've sinned against you, you only, that you might be justified in when you speak and be clear when you judge. <clears throat> Look, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. Look, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So even though he'd sinned, he knew that God could forgive him. And from his heart, he cried out to God. And certainly people whose heart is right will cry out to God confess their sins. 1 John 1, 9 tells us when we do that, he will forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 8, make me hear joy and gladness <clears throat> that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Don't throw me away, away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. Okay, what a prayer. What an acknowledgement. Just imagine the situation, how terrible. And he says, okay, if you do this, Lord, here's what's going to happen. Then I will treat transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. He admits the problem with Uriah. O God, you God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Okay, I'm going to witness for you. I'm going to sing of you. Give you the credit and the glory. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you desire not sacrifice, else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offering. On the other hand, here's what God does delight in. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build you up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bullocks on your altar. Are you familiar with this psalm that we've just read? You probably are. What a great penitential psalm came from the mouth of David. 
And as we pointed out, God forgives us as we acknowledge our wrongs and we come to God through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament sacrifices are fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus. He died on the cross. He's the true sacrifice, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world. And so as we repent and put our faith in him, God washes us clean, like it says here in Psalm 51, whiter than snow. It's all washed away by the precious and powerful blood of the Lamb. And he gives him another chance. One of the high things of this we're going to come to back in 1 Samuel 12. Picking up verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. Samuel said to the people, Don't be afraid. You have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, as we have already seen. And turn not aside, for then you should go after futile things like idols, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are futile, they're vain. Because the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Now verses 23 and 24 to me are, besides the rain at a time when they didn't normally get rain, these two verses, these statements, I think, are great and powerful thoughts. Verses 23 and 24. This is one of the reasons I wanted to share this passage with you today. Samuel said, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he has done for you. Then he goes on, but if you will still do wickedly, you shall be consumed, both you and your king. Notice he said it would be sin for him not to pray for him. That would be a sin of omission. We rather recently studied about that, didn't we, from James 4.17, about if we know we should do something and we don't do it, that's a sin. Their sins of commission, which usually we think of as being sins, don't do this, don't do that, we do them, we sin, but their sins of omission as well, things we should do that we don't do. And in this case, he said, it would be wrong for me not to pray for you. You know, the Bible does teach that we should pray for fellow Christians. We find in the book of Ephesians, Chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He felt it would be wrong not to pray for God's people. God tells us here in the New Testament we too are to pray for God's people. 
we think of praying for the lost, and that's okay. But I find many more prayers in the New Testament for the saved, for God's people. He felt he should pray for them. We too should pray, we see here in Ephesians 6.18, for fellow believers. We should be supplicating God. We should be praying to God. It should be an ongoing kind of thing. Now, it mentions saints, doesn't it? Well, who are saints? For all saints were to have the supplication, it says there. Who are saints? Are saints just eminent ones that the church says are eminent and have done great things for God? Or is it broader than that? In the church of Scripture, we find it's much broader than that. We're all sinners, even those who do great things for God. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. He's writing here to the Christians. To all who be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and so on. So we find here in Romans 1, 7 that all Christians are called saints, holy ones. Christ is the holy one, the one and only, as it were. But we are to be holy ones. All the Roman Christians were called saints. And so we're to pray for fellow Christians. We are to seek to live as God's people. As we said earlier, we're to be sanctified. We're to be living for the Lord. We're to be holy in our lives. Where we fail, like David, we are to confess our sins, to turn from them, and to trust in him. As I was thinking about this, I got to thinking about how do we know that we're saints? What are some of the evidences that we really know the Lord, that we become holy ones in God's sight through the blood of Christ and righteousness of the Savior? What are some of the evidences? Well, it's very simple. There are several quite obvious evidences. One is a changed life, a new life in Christ. One is assembling regularly with God's people like we're doing today. One is having regular Bible time, hopefully every day in your life, where you and God have a quiet time, where you study his word, where he speaks to you. And then you pray to God, not just during a quiet time, but throughout the day. We're to be in Continual prayer, constant prayer as it was, were to God. Our lives are to be bathed in prayer. We're to live in fellowship and walking with the Lord day by day. Another evidence of being a saint is sharing God's truth. Not only living it as best we can in our lives, but sharing it with other people. People need to hear God's standards and God's commands and God's righteousness. You know, there came a lawyer once to Jesus, a scribe, 
And he asked him, what's the most important command of all the commands? We find this in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? In other words, what's, what's the greatest one? What's the most important one? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commands is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first command. So the first and greatest command is to love God completely, wholeheartedly. Yes, we need forgiveness where we fail, but God's standards must be the highest. But then he added something. The second is like it, namely this, you shall love, love your neighbor as yourself. See, both of these deal with love, first to God, then with our neighbors. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe answered, <laughs> said to him, well, teacher, you have said the truth. And there is one God and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> it's amazing the answers that Jesus would give and the things that he would teach. Back to 1 Samuel. That I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He didn't want to do that. But instead, I will teach you the good and the right way. We need to hear God's standards. We have fallen natures. We tend to rationalize. We tend to go along with what society and our peers tell us is right and wrong. We tend to do what we want to and then somehow to justify it in our thinking. But there is the good and the right way. There is God's revelation, God's truth given to us. And how wonderful that is that he would do that. And here in the great command, in the second great command, we certainly see a part of that truth. And a part of the evidence is how we are living out these greatest of all commands. But then he goes on here. <clears throat> verse 24 1 Samuel 12 only fear the Lord and serve him with all your heart fear him serve him wholeheartedly because consider how great things he has done for you 
Stop and think. Think of the wonderful things God has done for you. Think about your life, how God has helped you, how he's blessed you. Have gratitude and thankfulness in your hearts toward God. And this reminds me very much of what Moses had said back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 47. Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. In other words, because of his blessing and the abundance of his blessings, we should serve God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart. We should have a grateful attitude at all times. We should have a life of thanksgiving to God as we go about our daily things. For consider how great and how wonderful things he has done for us. He's done for me. He's done for you. He's done for other Christians. And so then the logical thing is to be grateful and to serve him. Satan tried to trip up Jesus. And Jesus said that we are to serve and worship the Lord God only. Well, this passage helps us and draws us to that. It draws us to God's mercy and grace. It draws us to forgiveness and living the new life. To actualizing what we are in God's sight sinless ones, saints, to help that be more and more a reality in our daily lives. But thanking God for the righteousness that he puts upon us, the unbelievable forgiveness that he extends toward us. He loves us, he helps us, he's with us day by day. May we have a prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the great sacrifice of your son, the Lamb of God, Jesus. We thank you for his perfect righteousness. We thank you that he bore our sins. He carried them on the tree and was cursed because of it. And because of that, we can be forgiven we are forgiven as we confess and repent and put our faith in you. We receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be more and more like Jesus, to become in actuality more the saints that we are in your sight. Help us, Lord, to grasp these wonderful thoughts. Help us now to recommit ourselves to you. We thank you. We praise you and we honor you. May our lives be a good witness of your love and of your person. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.